our generation, I think, gets so much flack for kind of being whiny and complaining because we ask why a lot more often. Okay, so welcome back to I'm the Villain. Um, today we're talking with Andy, who who also has his own podcast um, called Life and Games, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, and we're going to be talking about this kind of conundrum of, of I would say, basically every millennial <laughs> of like trying to figure out like kind of what do you do with this paradox of like quote unquote following your passion and then having to like literally live <laughs> under capitalism and like you know figuring out how we can think about where to go from like you know this conflicting set of norms that we have kind of placed upon us um so andy why don't you just give a quick introduction anything you think the audience should know about you before we get started yeah so I'm Andy, and I'm super excited to be on here. Thanks for having me. I was in the consulting world. Uh, I worked at a big four consulting firm, and I've been in consulting for about 10 years. I had my quarter-life crisis, and I decided to make the shift to pursue what I thought were some passions of mine since I was very young. Um, and at the end, I ended up creating a show called Life and Games, and it's all about how people have created their own unique careers in the gaming industry. And we talk about their journeys and how they did it um, so that maybe one day I can do it too and learn from them and, you know, find my own spot in the gaming industry as well. Yeah. Tell us about yourself and like how you got into gaming, like what you're, do you, are you like doing it like a, a day job and then you're also doing your like YouTube channel and your podcast and your other stuff or is, are you trying to like do it full time? What's up? Yeah. So it's a interesting story. So, so my story is, is my, the, the short answer is um, doing Life in Games, my podcast, uh, as a side. It was a full-time thing. Mm -hmm. So the long story is, I used, so um, Isabel, you said you worked at Fannie Mae. Well, I, I guess I was sort of, I mean, I'm kind of close to that. So I actually lived, I grew up in the D.C. area. So I yeah. just moved out of there about three years ago. So I worked at Deloitte, one of the big four consulting firms, for about yep. six years. I've been in consulting for 10 years. Um, I hit a quarter life crisis, which I'm sure some of your guests are now <laughs> oh, like, it's sure. like a thing you guys are probably talking about now, especially oh, with yeah. your, yeah. Um, That's like me. That's why I'm leaving my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I hit a, like a quarter life crisis and I thought about like, what, all, what are all the things that I used to want to do? Uh, and like, what do I want to do moving forward? Because consulting was definitely not something I used to want to do when I was younger. I mean, like, I didn't even know it existed, and, and I just followed whatever paths to get there, right? Um, so I realized, like, I was so into, like, drawing, music. I was into programming, too. I mean, I, I nerded on programming for a while. Um, all this production stuff, you know, I really enjoyed. So I was like, you know what? Video games is, like, the perfect junction of all of that together. So I wanted to get into video gaming. So I put, I spent six months researching and putting together a business plan to start helping independent game developers, um, you know, update, you know, work, uh, let's just call it this way. It was to help independent game developers uh, streamline their production workflows and then also to streamline their marketing processes because that was a huge gap. Then 
I left in January and then the pandemic happened. So I'm not going <laughs> to point a finger at the pandemic because it was, there was a lot to it. Um, oh, for sure. But like on my own side, right? Like I had a, I learned a really, really hard lesson that you can do as much market research as you want. But if you, you know, there's no market research on paper online you can find that says people don't want to work with you specifically. And so like in the game, in the gaming industry, based on what I've seen, there's so much stigma against business type people. Like no one wanted to talk to me, even though like I, you know, before I, before I even left, I went to go validate my idea and like talk to all these people. And I had like 20 people that said, like I was in front of them face to face and like 20 people of them said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to work with you. Let's definitely talk. And when it was time to actually start the communication, they're like, nah, you know, they were pretty iffy about it. And I wasn't even asking for cash up front. It was going to be purely like, I only make money when you make money. <laughs> like, and they didn't even want to partner up. So, um, mm -hmm. so then I ended up just dabbling in everything. I was like, you know what? Maybe consulting in general is not for me, right? Like I'm kind of sick of telling people what's best for them when they don't even believe me to begin with. So why force people, right? And like, I'm tired of being that. So I just decided to try everything I wanted to try. So I just tried streaming. I tried multiple YouTube channels, all this kind of stuff. Um, life in games is kind of like my, I don't want to say swan song yet. It's like, it is the accumulation of everything I've learned. And mm -hmm. like, I, it's, it's not like something, it, it's an accumulation of everything I learned just through the stories of other people. So, um, that's kind of what the show really is. It's it's how people come to learn, uh, come to find their own homes in gaming, how they built their own careers using their own hands without relying on other people or, you know, relying on the right kinds of people if they had to. Um, and, and really making their own, you know, creating their own fate in, in the gaming industry. So that's that's what how I came to the podcast. Uh, I am going back to consulting. Like I'm talking to my current, like my past employer and, um, talking to their competitor, talking to my client too. So now I'm going to have like five people competing for <laughs> but I'm going back. Like, I don't, I don't have a choice. Like I have family, like, like uh, my son is three months old. So now it's like, well, unemployment is uh, not going to cover this anymore. Mm -hmm. And then right. um, and I have a death in the family in, in, coming up soon. So it's like, uh, I gotta, I gotta get back. So. Yeah. And I mean, did you find when you were doing consulting that you had room on the side to do this kind of no, stuff? No, great question. So, so it's really going to be a grappling situation. Yeah. And that's why I left. So, uh, I was, so I was at the manager level. So depending on what firm you talk to, it was like manager, senior manager level. Yeah. Um, I was at the cusp of, so I was already working 60, 70 hour weeks. I was at the cusp of increasing that going to the next level being like, no, you have no life at this point now. So there was no, okay, I bet I can make it work now, now that I have my lessons learned. But at the time, I didn't realize, like, I, I just kept, felt trapped. I didn't have the time or the energy to work on things on the side. Like, even yeah. just, like, doing that research I was talking about, that that was, like, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, as much as long as the caffeine would have taken me. True, true yeah. gaming hours. You <laughs> so, weren't gaming. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? Like, now I have perspective right now it's like well you know let's be honest like when you're working big four and you're at that level you're making some good money like i could have been like okay i should have just delegated this out to like a virtual assistant you know and like like you know there's all these different things that i've come to realize after the fact yeah you know? and i feel like that's kind of 
probably what we'll end up talking about a little bit more about like pursuing passions and passions versus hobbies and balancing career paths and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've made some really big mistakes. Uh, and I, I would say this is probably not the very extreme end, but I would say this is what could happen to you uh, with a quarter life crisis. <laughs> and like, well, I mean, Loki, that is exactly why I am so like, not not to like knock your life decisions, but glad I don't have kids because that I think would would definitely be a huge factor in like whether enable I would be enabled in you know being able to do this, right? <laughs> it, it makes it tough for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, I've heard I've heard that story of like I I know tons of people working at the big four, Andy, <laughs> and just like <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've heard that story so many times. I'm just like, I'm getting wrecked here and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm making a shit ton of money and that's good. But like, I don't have any time to actually use it for anything dope. <laughs> yeah, that that's the thing. I, and I used to drink and pour the Kool-Aid. Like I was like, I'm going to make partner here. I'm on the fast track. I had the support system too. I, I had everyone, like I moved here to Penn, I'm in central PA right now. So I moved here because partners asked me to move here. Like I grew up in Northern Virginia my entire life um, and my family's down there right now. So like, you know, I drank and poured that Kool-Aid, all the new recruits coming in, I would, you know, pour and make them drink that Kool-Aid too. And then at the end, it's like, I just had a wake up call and I was like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't what I wanted to do. And there's a lot of factors. That so do you have a clear idea? I know you're doing the Life of Games channel. Do you have a clear idea of what it is that you do want to do? Like, is this something that you're feeling like you want? to kind of pour yourself into like you're ready to take that next step that's a great question something i'm still figuring out like it's on my to-do list like right next to uh right next to my to-do list uh set up time with i'm 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 the villain is uh figure out next six months (laughs) um it's a really good question so i think so what i what i realize is one of my podcast guests taught me a really good lesson. And she told me that you have to be careful about understanding the dis- distinction between hobby and passion. And not all your hobbies are going to be your passions. And as soon as those hobbies become your job, you're going to hate them. And like that's, and that's the thing. If your hobbies, if you start hating, hating your hobbies, there's not, they're not really passions, right? Like they're just things you do to you know to like fulfill what this missing passion is right so i realized like games i thought was a passion of mine right like i grew up with games um games are like i said like this accumulation of culmination of everything that i enjoyed so for the last two years i thought games was my passion but i realized like games are my hobby Right, like I like playing games. My real passion is creating, making things, uh, turning something, turning nothing into something, um, and games are just a medium to do that. So, I'm still thinking about like how I'm going to apply that with what I want to do. Um, so, the podcast, Life and Games, I'm work- still working through season one. It was supposed to be done by now, but I had a family thing, but. Um, after season one, like I do want to do a season two, but it's going to be a much slower pace thing. And I have an idea for it um, that involves um, kind of children that 
are disadvantaged, but that's like a complete like thing I have to validate. And now I have my lessons learned of, of like, I need to validate these ideas first before I pursue them. Um, and the second thing is like, I want, I do want to go back to like making games. Like I want to go back into the workflow of creating a game. So I think what I'm going to do is, um, yeah, I'm going to go back to having a day job and then I think I'm going to set some real hard boundaries. Um, it's actually kind of great. Like I'm actually talking to my employer of doing a subcontracting role of like, I only work 32 hours a week and you pay me the same amount you used to pay me. Um, and they're, they're going for it right now. Um, so like, it's like, I would spend, I would set those boundaries. I spend a lot more time with family. And then now it's like, okay, I set aside time, you know, cash for whatever I need, my family needs. And then some of this cash will be used to delegate so I can slowly make these things. Um, and that last part, it only comes into play because I've learned my lesson and I've learned that I need to be really patient about things. Uh, like life in game season one, like was really tough because I was like, I got to try to release everything before the end, end of the year. Well, there, at the end of the day, there was no reason to push myself that hard. <laughs> like, there isn't, you know? Um, and so what I'm trying to do is just make sure I take my, make, take my time and, and say, like, if I want to make these games that have been in my head for, like, 10 years, like, they've been stuck, ideas I've had for a very long time, um, you know, what's another 10 to make sure it's done right without really being self-destructive again? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's... That's that's a long-winded answer. I, I'm sure I'm gonna do this a bit too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I love your story because I feel like it perfectly captures kind of what I think our entire generation is going through of just trying, yeah. like the trying to figure of, out like passion like, and work. Yeah, and like know? the capitalism bullshit and like <laughs> <laughs> people are no longer just content to just do a job and have it just be your job. It has to be this thing that you love and like, you know, whatever, all this, all these quotes about like, oh, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, blah, 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 right? <laughs> like my parents never had that expectation from their job, right? Like my mom is a lawyer, you know, I think she likes what she does, but she, she didn't have this conception going into it where she was just like, I have to love this thing. And this is my, my number one identity is as this thing that is my job. Right. Have you heard of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah. Hierarchy of needs. Yeah. 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 You've heard of it. Yeah. So it's like, it's like that. And then like that thing needs to be updated now at this point. Well, actually, I don't know. It's like people in our parents' generation just, I don't you know, so many, my parents are, I mean, my blood's from Korea. So like they've been trying to be, they tried to survive their entire lives, right? So they never thought about enjoying, you know, what they, they do either, right? Like just like your mom, right? So, I mean, it is a privilege to be in our spot, but at the same time, it's like, well, civilization have, has come so far where our basic needs are mostly met for yeah. most demographics. So we have, you know, a lot of us have that luxury to think about these kinds of things. Uh, I mean, there's still people on fringes. Like my work, a lot of my work is with Medicare. So, you know, there's a lot of people that can't afford all these things. And so they're just struggling to survive. But, you know, w once those people are, you know, they find their own ways and to get back to a stable environment if they can, 
um, you know, then they'll be start thinking about those kinds of things too, because everyone else is doing it at that point. <laughs> yeah. I feel like our, our generations, I mean, we have, I think we have many roles, but I think one of our primary roles is to figure out, you know, how to keep pushing society into a direction where it is more possible for people to choose how they spend their time. You know, like we, and I obviously old people give us flack for this, right. About being, you know, <laughs> like about having these options, but you know, I think that we're doing a lot to help future generations have even more options than we did, right? And isn't this, and at the end of the day, isn't that what our parents wanted for us, to have more fucking options? Right. <laughs> like, to not have to do the same shitty stuff they did. My mom worked at a, at a Walmart distribution center for 20, like, 29 years. And recently has gone on long, or is trying to get on long-term disability because she had to get knee replacements, you know? And I'm sure that she doesn't want that for us. Yeah. What comes to mind when you say that, DeAndre, is our generation, I think, gets so much flack for kind of being whiny and complainy because we ask why a lot more often. And, you know, that's a lot about what your podcast is about. I mean, you know, I don't. I hopefully I'm not misrepresenting. That's kind of the core of what you guys are talking about, right? Like, why are these things the way they are, right? And so when I'm going into a client, I'm I'm asking like, why do you, why is this process the way it is, you know? And and they just say because it's the way it always has been. And like, for me, the most frustrating thing is like they're paying us so much money to fix something and they don't want to change things. And it's like because they're just comfortable with it, right? Um, and I, 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 I don't know, like, I, I think just, it's really important for people just to understand like these st structures that we have They're, you know, they need a really hard look into them. And, and we, you know, as problem solvers, you know, we're the ones trying to fix things and maybe they're just in the millennial and maybe Gen Z generations, there's just, there's just more of us to do that. <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know, just a just an anecdotal thought. Yeah, I mean, I think that we, as we kind of like whatever move up in that Maslow's hierarchy of needs that you were mentioning, like our expectations are now going to be higher, right? And so, like, it's not really clear, like, even as we move up the ladder, right? If that's going to solve these like kind of higher order questions of like happiness and fulfillment and sense of purpose, right? And like, what's so I've been reading a ton of like you know books about AI recently. I'm right now I'm reading this book called Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark and it's so crazy to me that we even as a as a society the jury, I mean individual people might have uh their opinions on whether as a you know humanity is basically good or basically evil and thus whether or not AI is going to like produce like a dystopia or a utopia for us in the future right but what's so crazy to me is that as a whole humanity actually doesn't really know whether there like there isn't real consensus on whether we as a whole are good or evil right and whether we're gonna be able to get it together obviously like we just went through this huge you know political exhausting political right like campaign season right where that really felt like some of the questions that were on the line right of like <laughs> are we yeah. gonna choose to be fucking evil or, <laughs> or, or are we gonna choose to be like you know kind of okay, kind of quest questionably okay yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> right 
but i do but it, it still is crazy to me right that it was even like bernie sanders even had a fighting chance at getting the the candidacy right because like i do think that speaks to like there is a real possibility that maybe we will like you know somehow get to a future where we like start like having a more robust welfare system hopefully like one of the silver linings that comes out of this pandemic will be that that is the case right and you know maybe we'll get our shit together enough to actually deal with climate change so we don't just like you know self-combust right (laughs) (laughs) exactly like all these things like what's the name andrew yang was running on ubi like what are people clamoring about right now like today like as of let's say uh, 27th yang too when it was like when it you know when the pandemic was obviously it's still in full swing when it was like kind of early pandemic and i think like I thought I heard that like Trump talked to Yang about like, yeah, how do we do this thing? Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, other countries do it, right? Like there, there are other systems. It's just that, you know, America has really, you know, kind of tried to lock us into believing that the system that we live in is the only sustainable one. Yeah. And, and um, it's not, it's, I mean, yeah. not only is it not, is it not the only option we're learning I mean, there have been there have been many things that have shown us this, but the pandemic might be the most stark. It is not. This is not a sustainable system, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. all it takes is one, one shock, and the whole thing falls. Yep, yep, for sure. It's it's, it's absolutely amazing. Like what gaps have been exposed during this time, mm-hmm. and, right? Yeah. And I just think that one of the main political, one of the main problems that we have to solve, our generation has to solve, the main problem of our time right now is figuring out, can we get our shit together and organize people (laughs) enough to make sure that we can create a more robust system that can deal with these problems, despite all of these perverse incentive structures that are in place in the current system of like, you know, politicians, you know, not needing to be held accountable, gerrymandering, all of these, like, you know, all of these obstacles that are in our way. So many layers, right? And at the end of the day, like, you know, Mitch McConnell can still decide what gets to even be brought to the floor on a vote. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. look at what happened in the beginning of this, this year, all, you know, the different kinds of protests from all different sides. Um, the way information, okay, if we solve the issue with how misinformation spreads, you know, just, just let the kind of the way our activism and the information that we share kind of perpetuate with each other, each other. And as we get older, as and as we get more involved into politics, right? Look at some of the movements from um, what the squad and stuff, right? And that's yeah. going to grow. I mean, there's there's yeah, no sign saying that's going to stop. Um, and whether or not that's the right choice, I you know I I'm not going to stick my neck out and say. But you know, the more and more we get involved, the more older that we get, the more wiser we get to. I mean, there's still a lot for us to learn, right? So. Rising tide like brings up all boats. The more vocal we get, the more activism we get involved in. And uh, the more where, I mean, here's the thing. My one single life philosophy that I live by when I interact with other people is just, just treat others the way I'd like to be treated. Like that's the only one rule I live by. Like it's like someone cut me off. Well on the road like well am i gonna get pissed off and you know ride his ass or am i just gonna 
be like, well, maybe they're running to the hospital because someone is in danger or something, right? No, just let it go because I forget about them in 10 seconds anyway. But, you know, like, I think there is more of us and just like the the people that, you know, have, we have issues with, like, they're just more vocal about it because they found um, new ways to express their opinions. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think like the next step after that kind of golden rule of like, you know, figure out how those people actually want to be treated, right? Because so many of these people who are making the decisions don't have even like experiences that are remotely like the types of people they're making legislation for, right? And so like if you have that philosophy that centers your own experience, I think it also leads to a short-sightedness because everyone's obviously in our bubbles, right? You know, we're all in this kind of like, you know, elite culture, right? That is, you know, consulting, thinks tanks, blah, 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 whatever, right? And like there is so so much of like what I've appreciated actually about like, you know, being able to just kind of talk to random people on the internet because this podcast is just telling me that I just don't have that. I have such a narrow, you know, set of experiences and a narrow set of friends who've had very similar experiences to me, right? And so like so much of these these movements are trying to get people to get more exposure to people who are just have such different experiences from them, right? I'll, let me illustrate your <laughs> point with a story experience I had. So I lived in, like I mentioned earlier, I lived in Northern Virginia. Like this is... I lived in one of the richest counties in the nation in, yeah. um, for a long time. Uh, college was the norm for everyone. Like people who didn't go to college, there were only like a handful of us from our high school. Um, everyone had mostly had, mostly everyone was expected to get good jobs out of school. And, you know, we were right next to like Tyson's Corner and stuff. <laughs> like these are rich ass people, right? And so I didn't understand I didn't understand the other world until I got into consulting. Like when I was working with the state and working in Medicaid, right? Like even, even then, like I'm working on, so my work was all about building commercial um, enterprise systems. So the computer systems that people use, like, you know, at Fannie Mae, you know, you probably use a proprietary system on your, yep. on your machine. So like we built that. So we were building the state systems, but it wasn't until like, I worked on the system that create like sends the big printer and that prints out a million letters a day, like a letter that is self that, that actually addresses to individual people receiving Medicaid and saying you have these benefits or if you've lost these benefits. It wasn't until I had that held in my hand and reading like a letter saying like, dear Jane Smith, you are about to lose uh, your benefits next month. And you know, your benefits are like reduced by $600. It wasn't until I was holding that hand. I'm like, this is gonna go to a real person. Oh, I mean, not this exact copy, but like when I reprint this and seal it, it's gonna go to a real person. It wasn't until then where I realized like, there's really unfortunate people here. And regardless of, I know there's a lot of rhetoric around like, I mean, there's a lot of, not to get too political here, but there's a lot of people that do need help, right? And they're in situations where they're just, they can't get out of. And then, you know, once I understood like, a lot of these people need help that just pushed me even harder to just keep going and 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 finding new ways to make things better for this select group of people that i was working with so you know it, it wasn't until i held that letter in my hand where i realized like oh there's there's other people here that you know I, i'm i'm one of the lucky ones at this point mm -hmm. did you ever even get to interact with those people at all uh 
I didn't. My job, so by the time, I kind of got, I don't know if I should say lucky, but uh, the way, so what would happen is when we had like a system release, like some of us would go out there to the field and like make sure that the system was working for everyone. So because of my position, they wouldn't send me because it's like, I was, I mean, I was kind of like middle management. So it's like, it was cost me, it cost too much for me to go there. So, yeah. so I just never went, but no, I would have my, you know, analysts and consultants that worked with me, you know, like uh, underneath of me, you can say, um, they would go and they, they tell me stories, right. They'll go into Philadelphia and they'll be like, oh, you know, um, man, you know, the workers that are using our system, they don't, they don't like what we did or they really like what they did and made, and made their lives so much easier. And then they would meet, you know, our clients, clients, people who actually need some of these services. And they would talk about stories of people being upset about $30 missing from a check. Like there was a big system uh, issue we created where we accidentally did not issue $30 on, and that was the pay, that was the check that they received the week of Christmas. So we ended up in the news because people were expecting, like, it was like some, something related to social security. So people's social security checks were like $30 light. And so there was people on the news saying, I can't get Christmas gifts for my kids because of this system error. And it was like my team that did that. It's like, and it was, I don't know how much programming you want to talk about. It was because of like one, you could say it was one line of code that messed yeah. the entire thing. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I mean, long-winded answer to um, your question there, but I was close enough to see the impacts, but I did not physically like interact with anyone uh, on the other side. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that like so many of the people who are, who make all the decisions and all the systems and all of the, you know, infrastructure that all of this is built on are so removed from the end users of it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, how, how is that, you know, like, it's just so, to me, it seems so crazy that anything works given that that's how we do things. Right. <laughs> I would say though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very true. Uh, I would say I did combat that directly. Like I made sure that my teams understood why we're doing things. Like I'd have like an analyst come up to me and complain, like, why am I doing this busy work? I'm like, dude, this is not busy work. I wouldn't give you busy work. Like understand you start, you do this work and think about at the end of the line, like who is being impacted here. And then that would automatically helps, you know, flip the switch and they understand like, they're not actually doing busy work here. It all leads into something else. So I think we need more of that in our mm -hmm. work cultures, for sure. I definitely feel like for so there's like so many stories like that where like, you know, we had, you know, McKinsey people at Fannie Mae because we just had like whatever random millions of dollars lying around that we needed to get rid of before the end of the year. <laughs> and like for every, you know, like you are working on like, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare, Me uh, um, Medicaid, yeah. Medicaid, but like the, you know, like, you know, there's definitely also plenty of people who are like, you know, coming in, getting paid like 500 bucks an hour. And like the guy, or I remember specifically, there's a guy from McKinsey who would just sit right next to me and just like be on the Dragon Ball Z Wikipedia page <laughs> the entire day. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, this is just like, there's just like tons of examples of that just being like, you know, comically like, <laughs> <laughs> just wasteful and like there's all kinds of things like that going on right i was gonna say andy it sounds like you know it's good that you were there to like bring your people back down to earth but you know that probably doesn't happen for a lot of other people that work especially in these big consulting firms right yeah that's very true it, it's 
It's very true. Well, here's the other thing. I think I was uniquely positioned um, because with the McKinsey guy that Isabel was talking about too, right? So DeAndre, what you're saying is like, like, here's the thing. So I was uniquely positioned because I didn't just do the strategy portion. I did also the implementation, the execution. I mean, we weren't supposed, to, I don't, hopefully I'm not getting anyone in trouble. We weren't supposed to be doing the strategy part contractually, but we, I mean, we're consultants. We're always going to work strategy and solve problems. So I'd be in the beginning of the process trying to solve the problem. And then I'd still be there making sure the problem was actually going to be solved. A lot of like the McKinsey people you're talking about, um, Isabel is, and they usually come in, they talk to strategy and they dip out. You know, as soon as they're yeah, done yeah. with their PowerPoint and they bill $500 an hour and they blow it on, you know, travel expenses and food, they're gone. They don't care if it worked or not or who uses it or, or anything. You know, I mean, some of them, I'm sure, hope they do. You know, uh, Fannie Mae would use it, but they don't care. McKinsey's just off to get their next contract. Um, I, I mean, we're every consulting firm's guilty of that, but at least my team, we you know, we were in charge of both parts even though contractually we weren't supposed to do the strategy part and so like (laughs) and so deandre like that's that's kind of the thing like what you're saying you know a lot of that is a lot of what you're saying is kind of foundationally built inherently into the structure of these contracts too (laughs) i wanted to ask you andy um so do you see a world for yourself? Because I know that you said that you, you actually figured out that like creating is your passion, gaming is more of a hobby. I had that kind of realization about myself as well, where like I always thought, like, dude, I love games. I can work in games, but now I don't ever think I could work in games. <laughs> um, do you see a path for yourself where you're creating something else that isn't focused around games? So my dad has always been a huge inspiration for me. Um, he's been a blue collar worker, but his whole entire life, but he's always, he's run his own business since I was like five and then he just sold it finally. And it was a small business. Um, so it's not like he started a, you know, hyper fast growth, growth startup or anything, but it was, you know, he lived the American dream. Now I'm not going to, you know, especially on this show, I'm not going to say the American dream should be the American dream, but it was his American dream. Um, and I always looked up to him for that. And I always respected them. And I think that's why I always wanted to start my own businesses and always wanted to, I wanted to be the same as him. Um, So if it's something that is not related to gaming, it is running my own business. But I feel like because I am, I have so many interests, I'll say interests for now. I wouldn't say passions, but interests in so many other things because my mind is racing. It's like audio, visual, storytelling, writing, all this kind of stuff. I just love all that stuff so much that like, I wanna make sure I'm doing something that touches all those things. And that's why like the Life and Games podcast, uh, shameless plug here, but like it, it was, like I had so much fun doing it because one, I was talking with some amazing people and it's giving me the opportunity to talk to you guys too. Um, it's I got to work in everything, even like making dumb like social media posts. I mean, not dumb; they're really important. But um, like making social media posts, you know, I'm doing like even with an audio show, I'm working on all this visual stuff. So I say games is still kind of like the medium to kind of uh, channel my focus onto. 
But at the end of the, of the ah, at, this is so bad. Like, and when I do voiceovers, I cannot say this sentence. At the end of the day, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's it's still all about creating. And of course, because I have to feed myself, it's probably going to be a business. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would say the only other thing is um, if I went, if money was no object, nah, I'd still be making, try to make games. Like for me, it's all about like, I mean, I'm sure I need to talk to a therapist about this, but for me, it's all about <laughs> like, how do I express myself, right? Like music only lets me express myself in an audio form. A podcast is in multiple facets, but not entirely in like a interactive sort of way, right? So video games hits all of those notes. So I, I think that's where I'm at now. Again, though, like who knows in five years, right? In five years, like my son will be five years old. Like what are my thoughts and passions there? Maybe I pour all my work into him. Um, who knows? But yeah, as of now, I think, I think this past year of not working in consulting dabbling in everything i could related to video video games has taught me like my path is really i mean i darn you know i i know i'm going all over the place here so i mentioned like my passions is in creating stuff but i think the biggest way to apply that is through producing uh and focus more heavily on uh storytelling I think the last thing I probably want to say about passions is like the most important thing I've learned tactically is you just have to be patient. I think like for me, I left my job because I couldn't stand it anymore because I was like, I thought I knew my path and I wanted to execute it right away and see results right away. It's not most likely not gonna, I mean, there's a million and one chance that that's going to be successful. So um, if you're patient about it, and you have fun with it, then whatever it is that you're doing that you think is your passion, it's, you know, you as long as you keep rolling the dice and opening yourself up to opportunities, um, hopefully it'll work out. And, and at the very end of, end of the day, um, even if it doesn't work out, it's hard for me to imagine that anyone would have any regrets about at least making the, the attempt. Um, right. But if you rush it and you're going to end up hating it because it feels like a job. You don't see results. People see, if it's something that's client facing or customer facing, or even like a YouTube channel, right? You rush it. People are going to know and they're not going to like your content anyway. So yeah. it's just all falls apart. So patience yeah. is like the number one thing that I've learned. Um, so anyone else going through like a quarter life crisis, just take a step back, have a, you know, take a deep, deep breath, understand like what's important to you. And then take your time because unless, you know, you have some sort of situation where you are going to, you know, leave this planet very soon, you know, keep chugging along as if you're not. And there's plenty of time to get where you want to be. And maybe if you take the time to be patient and make really calm and calculated decisions, you'll be better off than you ever would have been if you just rush it like I did. So Andy, thanks so much for sitting down and, and 
with us for the session that, you know, we thought was going to be one conversation is probably going to end up to be two, <laughs> uh, which I think is, yeah, is really dope. So the question I ask everyone, and I'm going to have to think of a new question for the next outro we're going to do, um, is uh, what are you doing to stay sane during quarantine? Huh. So secret, but not so much secret. I've been living in quarantine mode my whole life. So like, <laughs> this is not too different for me. I would say... Wait, what do you mean when you say that exactly? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm a homebody. So, oh, okay. So, I mean, my favorite pastime, uh, although some doctors will say is should not be a pastime, is sitting down one o'clock in the morning, having a glass of whiskey, and no one bothers me. <laughs> like... So, um, yeah, and I'm running, I'm all out of whiskey now. So now I'm like, oh gosh, what what should I do? Like, and like, because we don't go, I have a newborn, so I don't want to go out to storefronts. Like we're on the extreme end of not going out because of quarantine and stuff. Um, That's a good question. I didn't think about that because I know you asked that when I listened to other episodes. (laughs) What I'm doing to stay sane is I am just focusing on making sure my previous day okay it's just making sure my day is not like my previous day i think that's what's most important even if it's like a lazier day than the previous one as long as i'm doing something a little bit different and i'm you know increasing my physical or mental wellness and or my you know my family's physical and mental wellness then that's a good day for me great question yeah no problem cool uh well first of all andy here's here's your platform please plug your show oh yeah sure i i kind of did it already but uh so yeah the show is life in games you can listen to it on all the major podcasting platforms wherever you like to listen to spotify apple itunes um google Podcasts. um you can also find all of our content on youtube where like I take a lot, you know, you can see everything in video form. Some of the full interviews are going to go up there very soon. And you can also see some of the snippets. You can follow the show at on Twitter at Shiba Break because everyone deserves a break with a Shiba. Cool. And as always, if you liked what you heard, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter. That's our Instagram. That's our Gmail. Otherwise, bye.